Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about the legal battle for the D&D movie rights and the Dungeonscape beta. Then, we've got an interview with Dungeonscape's Chris Matney, who's going to give us the skinny on the development, hopes, and dreams of the D&D companion app. But first, let's meet our panel. With me today at the round table is a new face, so panelists, please let us know how long you've been playing D&D and any other credentials you care to mention. With me today at the round table is Rudy Basso. Hey, Rudy, how long have you been hey. playing D&D? Um, since about 2009 with 4th edition, I played with you. Um, in addition to that edition playing, um, I did a little Mutants and Masterminds, which is a really cool superhero RPG. I've dabbled with the Ghostbusters RPG from the 80s, a lot of fun. And I personally GM a Star Wars Saga edition game. Rudy, you're a great guy. Always happy to have you on. Thanks, buddy. Always happy to have on Vegas Lancaster as well. Vegas, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, I've been playing D&D since I was a weird little kid with my weird older cousin. Uh, <laughs> and now I play with uh, well-adjusted adults. <laughs> I'm a weird adult nerd comedian. Well, Vegas, it's always great to have you on as well. And for the first time, we have Allison Rossi. Allison, how are you? I'm doing great. How long so, have you been playing D&D? Uh, for D&D, I've been playing a little over a year now. I think I started uh, last August, I'd say. So definitely not as long as you guys, but uh, long enough to kind of get a feel of things. Nice, nice. Well, here at the Roundtable, we like to have all different perspectives. So we're very happy to have you. Alex Basso, why don't you tell us how long you've been playing D&D? I've been playing D&D for five years. Started when 4th edition came out. All right, panel. Well, it's great to have you all on the show today. And today's get-to-know-you question is, what is your favorite color of chromatic dragon? And I will allow repeat answers here, since there's only so many chromatic dragons. And Rudy Basso, let's start with you. Favorite color dragon? Oh, man. I... I'm almost positive someone else will choose this, so I'm happy you picked me first. It's the adamantium dragon, of course. Oh! Indestructible. Well, not literally, but as the lore goes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just really cool. Wolverine, that's right there. So how can I not pick <laughs> So you're a big adamantium. fan. Yeah. Big fan. <laughs> All right, Vegas Lancaster, what's your favorite color dragon? First, I'm going to be a super dork pedant. And challenge Rudy, uh, because an adamantine dragon is a metallic dragon. Chromatic oh. dragons, of course, are dragons with leather skin uh, that comes in various colors. Uh, and I say good old-fashioned red dragon, because uh, they're the toughest, evilest chromatic dragons around. Allison Rossi, what is your favorite color chromatic dragon or metallic? 
Okay, we're going to go with chromatic or, or metallic. I'm going to choose a metallic one. I really, really like copper dragons because, yeah, they're, they're kind of weaker in, in a sense for dragons, but I think that they're the coolest ones in terms of, of role-playing potential because they're, they're kind of the tricksters and jokers of dragons. And we encountered one in, in my one group, and ever since then I've really liked them because they remind me of bards, and they're just kind of silly. So they're my favorite ones. Alex Basso. What is your favorite uh, color dragon? I'm going to have to go with the black dragon. I like the that they're kind of more about ambush tactics. And they're not end up fighting. That's not really their style. Um, and I also really like that they're, you know, their kind of habitat is a swampy area. And um, I don't know, it's just not really typical dragon. I feel like, you know, when I when I think of dragons, I think of, you know, red dragons. But the black dragon is very different, uh, different style. I like it. Yeah, yeah, you can't beat an acid line breath weapon. Vegas. Can we all agree that green dragons are the worst dragons? <laughs> Whoa, why is that? Strong words. Because <laughs> black dragons, uh, which are awesome, as Alex pointed out, have the market cornered on acid breath. And green dragons come along and they're like, hey, you know, I guess we got acid breath too. Oh, <laughs> sir. Sir, what you, you are about that? to be pedanted as well. <laughs> green dragons have poison breath. They do not oh. have acid breath. Um, <laughs> uh, uh. All right. Well, let's move on, guys, to the meat and the news this week. Let's talk about the D&D movie rights court case. All right, and I'm going to give you guys a couple of quick bullet points actually typed up by our own Rudy Basso. So here's the basics that you guys need to know for the discussion we're about to embark on. Gets a little complicated, but I'm going to try to keep it simple. Back in the early 90s, a Canadian production company bought the rights to D&D to make a movie for $15,000. And this company was called Sweet Pea Entertainment. Eventually, they decided to start production on that movie, and when they did, Wizards of the Coast now had owned D&D. They had bought TSR. And so they renegotiated the D&D movie license with Sweet Pea and required them to be in development of a D&D movie every five years preceding a D&D film in order for them to hold it on. This is actually pretty standard in Hollywood. Uh, you know, Fox is required to make sequels and that kind of thing. And the big key word here is that it would be a theatrical sequel. It would have to be released in theaters somewhere. So the first movie came out in 2000 and it did not do that well. It was pretty bad. Um, and the, the critics hated it. D&D fans hated it. Uh, there was a second movie released uh, in 2005. This was also really not a great movie, but might have been closer to a D&D movie, depending on your uh, opinions. Um, there really wasn't that much involvement from Watsi uh, and, and Hasbro when this was developed. And it did have a theatrical release in Europe, not here in the States, and it premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel here in the States. In 2012, a third D&D movie was released, this time direct-to-DVD, and I think it showed up on Sci-Fi as well. Uh, and Hasbro was involved a little bit with the film, adding material and stuff to the DVD extras. Fast forward to now, right? 
there is a guy, uh, the guy who wrote, his name is David Leslie Johnson. He wrote Wrath of the Titans and Orphan. He apparently has written a script uh, for a new D&D film called Chainmail. Warner Brothers commissioned him to write this script. And Warner Brothers also said that they paid Sweet Pea. They bought the D&D movie license rights from Sweet Pea. Uh, at the same time, well, when... Hasbro was talking to Warner Brothers, Universal stepped in and was like, hey, we want to make a movie. And so Hasbro granted the rights to make a D&D movie to Universal. But Warner Brothers said, hey, wait, we already bought the rights from this guy at Sweet Pea. Hasbro sold their rights back in 91, technically, when TSR, who they bought, sold the rights. Hasbro is saying, no, we have the rights back because this third D&D movie, The Book of Vile Darkness was never released in theaters. And Sweet Pea is saying, we do still have the rights. We tried to get it released in theaters, but we couldn't find a distributor to pick it up because it was that terrible a movie. So these cases went to court. Uh, They have both rested, uh, and they're waiting for the judge's decision. It could be months before we actually see anything. Uh, With all that legalese and stuff out of the way, and I'm sure other details will come out through our discussion here, I want to talk to you guys about these D&D movies. They are terrible. I have seen all of them, and I would almost say it's an objective fact that they are bad. Um, (laughs) That you've seen them all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, the D&D movies, see, what makes it weird is they do all have a Dungeons & Dragons title on them. So does that mean they count as sequels because they draw from this universe, even though they don't have characters and plot lines that are directly related to each other so what do you think do these movies count as sequels specifically this third one which is the one in contention and does it count as a theatrical release rudy basso well the second one does have a character from the first one in it he's a minion in the first one and he's the main antagonist in the second one so i could see the argument there being made that it's a sequel Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the third one has literally nothing to do with the first two. I've only seen the first one. Um, they're all on YouTube if anyone wants to go watch them. I, I don't know why you would. But uh, <laughs> you can't. Um, I don't think they have much of a defense. The only defense is that Hasbro gave them materials to put on the DVD. And if Hasbro had an issue then, why would they voluntarily give them materials? Why didn't they bring up this lawsuit and try and get the rights back then? Um, I still think it's pretty weak, though. We should mention that Hollywood is actually watching the outcome of this case pretty closely because it will affect sort of the legal definition of what a sequel is in a movie franchise. And I think that that's going to, you know, it could affect some other things in the future for Hollywood. So this is beyond the D&D-verse. You know, this is is important. Uh, Alex Basso, what are your thoughts on all this? Do you think that this third movie counts as a sequel? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say they probably count as sequels. I mean, I feel like the, the star of the movie is, is Dungeons and Dragons, and that's in all three movies, right? <laughs> so there's your sequel connection. I mean, it's just a big world. The fans are going to see the fact that it's a Dungeons and Dragons movie. So I, I definitely would classify them as a sequel. Uh, the big issue I, I would probably harp on would be, uh, you know, theatrical release. The third one didn't make it to theaters. Who cares how hard they tried? I mean, shouldn't the rights just automatically then go back to Hasbro? You know, that, sh- that should be it. But, you know, as Rudy said, we're not lawyers. I'm sure there's tons of crazy legalese and 
all that stuff that I have no interest in reading about. (laughs) (laughs) Vegas, what do you think about this, man? Is this a movie sequel? Uh, Does it count? What are your philosophical ideas about this? Oh, we tried to make a movie, but uh, no theaters would have it. Means you didn't do a good job, good enough job making a movie to say that you made a movie and should be allowed to hold on to the rights <laughs> that you were given control of. That said, I, I'm I'm curious to see what becomes of it uh, because I, I uh, like you said earlier, I think it has implications for things like Spider Man and X Men. Uh, which are both owned by Fox and Marvel doesn't have the right to produce Spider-Man and X-Men movies right now, as long as Fox keeps pumping out Spider-Man and X-Men sequels every so many years, which is why we get some bad movies with those names in them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it could affect things like Spider-Man's planning on a Venom movie and a Carnage movie and a Sinister Six movie. And do those count as sequels, I think, is is an interesting question. Uh, Allison, what do you think here? Are, are these these movies sequels? Is this third movie that has nothing to do with the other two and wasn't released in theaters? Does this count as a, a an attempt at a theatrical sequel? I personally don't think so. I just don't feel like there's enough connecting them outside of just Dungeons and Dragons to consider them to be, you know, sequel, trilogy, whatever it may be. I just don't think it's enough. When you look at like other trilogies, like say the Lord of the Rings trilogies, there's basically the same plot line going through all three of them, basically the same characters. And it just, that that's what I think of when I think of a trilogy. And this Dungeons and Dragons thing, I don't think this is a trilogy. I just don't think there's enough in common for them to be considered that way. Especially with the third one not being like, in my opinion, I don't think that's a third uh, theatrical release. Oh. I don't know how you could even consider that theatrical when it's on like sci-fi and the, the European release. No. Yeah. I, I recommend you guys check out the movie on YouTube and at least scrub through it just to see how, <laughs> how awful it is. We're in an era, right, where we have two major studios, Warner Brothers and Universal, fighting over who gets to make the Dungeons and Dragons movie. And that makes me pretty happy, actually. You know, that we're not looking at someone who bought the rights for $15,000 who's never made a movie before making it now. And, you know, I would I would trust either of these people to perhaps pull off a competent movie. Sure, they also have things on the record that are bad. But I think we now, you know, we're in a world where Game of Thrones is very popular and people are trying to capitalize on that. And Dungeons and Dragons really allows you to do that because it is this big open universe that means a lot of things. So I guess my question to you guys is what would you want to see in a D&D movie? What would make a D&D movie a Dungeons and Dragons movie, you know? Uh, and Alex Basso, I'll start with you. Uh, I'd say like the most important thing would probably be just this, I guess the setting, you know, put it into, put it in a, a world we know, uh, you know, Eberron or Forgotten Realms, preferably Eberron. Cause I feel like that's a little more different than, you know, normal traditional fantasy. Uh, and then, you know, some, you know, spells, throw some spells with, you know, what the fans know about, but don't, don't focus too much on the D and D aspects. So I feel like the more, you know, they try and cater to the fans, the less interesting of a movie it might be for uh, regular audiences. So, I don't, you know, to me, it's not a big deal. They don't need to really, you know, prove that they're loyal to the, the D&D fan base in the movie. Make a good movie, have some 
some cool stuff that we can be like, hey, look, I know that, but don't don't cater to us. Yeah, I think it's it's that's really what you need to do is you can't make the mistake that a lot of video game movies make and try to put too much fan service and try to stay too true. But then at the same time, you can't make the other video game movie mistake, which is to go way too far out of the way. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be cool to see it set in a fantastical realm that we know. And then to bring in some things, you know, a beholder here. And obviously you probably want to see a dragon. But yeah, I think that that's probably good advice to filmmakers. Vegas Lancaster, how about you? What would make a D&D movie a D&D movie? Hell if I know, man. <laughs> I know how to make a bad D and D movie. Uh, that's really there's easy plenty of to examples do. already. Uh, I think. I mean, uh, maybe this is too easy an answer. Uh, if if I was an a movie executive and people told me, "Yo, go make a D and D movie," uh, I would probably just make a bunch of. Uh, Drist. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> based on the Salvatore books. Because um, there you've got a character that a lot of people would be excited to see, and you've got uh, stories that are good stories in the D&D universe, and if you follow those stories, you're not going to fall into the traps we were just talking about. Right, well, and it wouldn't be the first time that a New York Times bestseller was made into a major motion picture, you know? And I think that's yeah. probably smart, too. Um, Allison, what do you think? What makes a D&D movie a D&D movie? Well, personally, I would want to see it, like, set in Faerun. Um, Just because I feel like that's that's kind of what they're going with right now with like with the Adventures League and all the things that are being put out right now, like everything's taking place on the Sword Coast. You know, you have these names constantly popping up that are becoming familiar to people who are now becoming interested in D&D. It's the newest version. This is there's a low barrier to entry. It's a lot easier for people to get involved. And I feel like that's what they would know. And they don't need to go too deep into things that, you know, are super technical, like. Now they have advantage and disadvantage. You don't need to show that in the movie, but I think it would be nice to have like little aspects that would be familiar to people who play it, but not so much so that it excludes people who know nothing about D&D. Um, I think it would also be nice to kind of show something in the movie that would show the DM's perspective, because I feel like the DM plays such a big role in the game that I feel like it would be interesting to show that that outside aspect in it. I mean, it would be interesting to see if they, they went you know, the other way, like, and just one full conversion of like a player DM standpoint where they like, uh, you know, had the people sitting around a table and then they acted at, you know, being characters and then they actually showed movie like footage of their fantasy. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, like, I feel it's like there was a, a Lego movie. an Lego. indie movie. Wasn't there one like that, James? Yeah, that so like Knights that? of Badass them? That's sort of one, but there's two movies. Kind of? Uh, one's called Gamers. Yes. Um, and you can yes. watch that one on YouTube. And, and those then, are comedy, though. They're kind of... Yeah, they're sort of comedic. And take it's, that idea, though. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. idea that, like, the player who is playing the PC, then when they transition to the medieval fantasy world, that same actor is playing the character. Because um, that's actually... Before I ever even saw the first Dungeons & Dragons movie, I thought that's what it was. And I feel like maybe a lot of people who don't know anything about D&D, that's what they'd expect. Rudy Basso, what do you think? What makes a D&D movie a D&D movie? I don't know. I was going to think Driss, but the truth, the truth for me is I think Drow look weird. So I don't know that that would be a that's good... That's true. 
have a bat be your character that the franchise is based on a weird looking drow maybe they're offensive i'm not sure it might be but i also think if the hero of yeah it's true he's a good guy and and it's also a fantasy race we haven't seen before right so it's not like oh look it's a lord of the rings ripoff it becomes something completely new i don't know i'd like to see companionship great friends that's always a big part of DD for me good friends Good adventures, good fun. How about that? Just, uh, <laughs> like a Star Trek approach. Just make it a fun movie. I think I, I agree mostly with Alex. The important thing is that it's a good movie, first and foremost, rather than a Dungeons and Dragons movie. So I'd love for some awesome director to be like, oh, I loved D&D when I was a kid. I'll do this. Like, oh, J.J. Abrams. Now he's doing Dungeons and Dragons, too. <laughs> do it all. Yeah, well, and I think that would certainly help the franchise, right? If a big name stood up and said, I want to helm this, uh, you know, all of a sudden it would get the resources it needed maybe to to make that happen, which would be... Yeah, and uh, another thing to your point, James, I'm not so sure Universal wants to make this movie so much as to stop Warner Brothers from making this movie. I know that there's a lot of weird Hollywood politics going on, but Warner Brothers is definitely interested in it. Uh, One of my favorite books is called... How to, what is it called? It's called Writing Movies for Fun and Profit. It's a book on writing movies for big studios. And the one thing they harp on over and over again is that if a studio is willing to throw money at your project, it means they really want to make the project. And since Warner Brothers has spent $4 million buying the rights and another million just to do the legal fees for Sweet Bee, that tells me that they have a real interest in this movie. So I do hope that they win, uh, even though I don't think they will. They're, they're ready to go. I didn't think of that, but that's a very good point. Sometimes uh, it's more about blocking the competition for some people than it is about uh, actually getting to make a thing. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and move on to Dungeonscape, guys. Uh, there have been a couple articles published on the Dungeonscape blog recently that uh, are all basically saying, hey, We've launched beta, <laughs> and we've launched it on all our platforms now, iOS, Android, and web, and things are going well. We have a very basic setup, and there's going to be a lot more to come, and there's a lot of ways to send us your feedback, which we're listening to. Um, that's the basic gist of all of the articles that, uh, that we've seen here. So here's my question to you guys. First of all, who has the beta? I'm in the beta right now. Uh, Rudy? I'm in the beta. Alex? Yep, I am. Allison? Yep, I'm in the beta. Vegas? I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that actually, that's one of the things they address is that they're opening the floodgates very slowly here because they're trying not to be too overwhelmed because Trapdoor is a very small company. Um so, but let's talk about sort of these articles and what, we see, what we're seeing. There's going to be, you know, they, they said that there's going to be some stuff for game stores and there's going to be better DM integration coming and there's going to be forums. Right now, there's basically character creation, right? Um, so, so how are you guys feeling about all of these articles and everything? And for the folks who have it, how are you feeling who have it? Uh, Vegas, let's start with you since you were just the articles. What do you think? How, how are you feeling when you read these articles? Are you hopeful about this? I mean, the, the articles that they have out, you know, they aren't giving us a whole lot of information. Um, I, I like that they're not over ambitious, 
that they're saying, hey, we're doing things slowly because we don't want to give you a bunch of buggy crap that isn't going to work. I think that's a good approach for a small company to take rather than to promise the world and not be able to deliver. But, you know, I've I've been waiting for a long time to have a good functional uh, online gaming tool from uh, Wizards of the Coast. And uh, I, I would like to see this one work out. Rudy, how are you feeling about this? Uh, I mean, it is just a character builder right now, and um, a lot's not there. <laughs> uh, when I built my Barbarian, I loved him to 20, and a lot of his abilities were just blank. Like, it didn't, it had the name, but it didn't have a description of what it does. Mm. Um, there are no limitations to it either. Like, I continually put points in strength. Like, it didn't stop me from hitting cap. So I had a plus six. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to sit here and talk about all the problems that it has because it's a beta. Um, they still have a long way to go. So just from the outset, the character builder looks good. It's very uh, clean. It's really easy to navigate. Um, if someone new were coming in, there's some really great like art that'll give them uh, a visual description of what, what a barbarian is, what a, a half-orc looks like, things like that. So I, I this is basically what we saw at Gen Con. And um, it still looks as good as it did then. So my thoughts are still very positive. I'm more interested in the stuff that they haven't shown us yet. So, Sure, sure. And we'll actually hear Chris Matney talk a lot about that stuff in the okay. next segment in the interview. So, But how are you feeling about the articles? Do you think the way that they're taking feedback and everything is good? Uh, do you feel positive when you're reading all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, they, they've done a good job so far from what I saw. And they have a good attitude, which is important. Um, there's a lot riding on this. I think they know that, so they want to do a good job. It's very important. <laughs> yeah. So they seem to have a good attitude. So good. Good, on them. good. Good. Allison, how about you? What What are your thoughts about the Dungeonscape beta so far, and how are you feeling about these articles that they're putting out? I'm I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far. I actually just logged in, and there were some changes since the last time I looked at it, like yesterday afternoon. Um, I like the way everything looks. Um, the, the website actually looks quite nice. Um, I would really like to try it on, on my Android phone, but it's only for Android tablets right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so for the web thing, I, I like how it walks you through things. And, and as said, like the pictures that they have to see what the, the races look like, what the class might look like. Um, how it kind of walks you through things to make it easier for for new people playing. And it's pretty intuitive so far for me. Alex Basso, how about you? How are you feeling about Dungeonscape Beta so far? And how are you feeling about these articles? Everything seeming kosher and on the up and up for you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's all good so far. You know, Beta was spent a couple minutes making my character, looked like my character, so thumbs up to that. Uh, You know, I really... Not you know I'm not always that interested in the web beta. I was really looking forward to it as the tablet. So I, you know, it's to me it's you know it looks good, but I you know the interface looks like it will be great on a tablet. Super excited for that. I, mean, I don't know how much I'll use it over you know like Roll Twenty of their integrated character sheets. So, but you know, just still a lot more to say. Yeah, there is still a lot more to see. And speaking of the future, what are some things that you guys would like to see? in the future um i know for me they keep talking about this forge aspect uh which you can even see is one of the tabs you can select that is currently grayed out right now um and the forge is the place where dms are going to be 
creating magic items and monsters and maps and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and they'll be able to bring that into other people's games. So I'm definitely excited to see how the Forge is going to work. But do you guys have anything that you want to see, either that's been mentioned or not mentioned? And Alex, let's start with you. Uh, what I really would like to see was just solid party like interface. You know, that's something you don't really get with any other tools. I want to be able to you know check my party's characters out at any time. Um, you know, be able to send them messages. That's what excites me the most: the integration with the other players. Um, you know, being able to access my character—that's cool. It's convenient, but I already have a character sheet, so it's not as important to me as being able to you know, get these unique tools that make the the playing experience better. Allison, how about you? Is there any big things on your wish list you'd like to see? I definitely want to see the forge and see how that's going to play out, especially with making magic items. That should be really interesting, especially since the the Dungeon Master's Guide isn't out yet. So I'm curious to see how they they work with that in the future um, to make it easier to make items. I'm very, very interested to see how that translates online. Uh, Rudy Basso, what would you like to see in the future? I would like to be able to have a printable character sheet, like my character's here, but there's no option to put him on a on a character sheet and print him out and bring him with me. So that'd be convenient as someone who hates handwriting in stuff. <laughs> if I could just print this guy out in the uh, the 5e format. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder if that is going to be a thing that's available. They do have a fillable PDF uh, that you can download on Wizards right now. Um, but it would be nice to not have to make your character twice. Yeah. You know? Vegas Lancaster, is there anything you would like to see this app be able to do? Oh, man. I mean, we've already got Roll20, um, <laughs> you know, which is a, a free online uh, system for playing tabletop games, which works really well. Uh, so uh, they've got to compete with that and make something that works as well or better than Roll20, presumably, since they're going to charge money for it, and also integrates with the rule system really well. Uh, What I would like to see is to be able to make my character in the character builder have it get all the math correct, which has been a problem (laughs) in the past, uh, and then be able to like have you, the DM, take a monster and put it into a... Uh, an encounter that you know we're all sharing and then have my character use a spell or something from my character sheet and then have it roll the dice and compare that against the monster's statistics and have everything just smoothly cleanly uh give us a, a result and damage from that while being mathematically accurate <laughs> fourth edition character builder yeah yeah well i think those are all good things to have on the wish list guys all right guys well let's roll the interview with chris matney of trapdoor technologies rolling all right guys it's me james and i am here with chris matney uh i'm the managing director uh the developers don't let me write write any code anymore <laughs> uh, but uh I'm the product owner, so I'm the uh, the person on the design team uh, working through the functional requirements. Excellent, excellent. And uh, how is your beta going? I know just this past week, right, you started the beta for web, you've in be- been in beta for iOS for a while, and you're getting ready to launch your Android beta. Probably uh, once this podcast goes live, your Android will have launched. So uh, how is everything going with your beta right now? 
the responses have been been great so far. People are really uh, enjoying the uh, vision that we have for what uh, a uh, digital companion to Dungeons and Dragons can provide. And I think that uh, there's you know a lot of of demand for the tools. There's a lot of demand for the uh, content. And I think people are excited about seeing how those are coming together. And we're really changing the way that uh, we interact with the digital platform with, with Dungeons and Dragons. So everybody's kind of learning in the process. So we're learning as much from our beta testers as our beta testers are learning from us. Cool. And what kind of things have you been learning? Well, I think the, uh, you know, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since uh, 1977 uh, with the white box set. And I've played uh, almost 40 years now. My campaign, one of my campaigns has been running for 33 years. I'm pretty set in the way that I play D&D. And so a lot of the, the design principles that we put into the application are based on sort of how I play Dungeons and Dragons. And yet other people approach the game very differently. I'm very heavy into storytelling. I'm very heavy into uh, lots of details and trying to create a, the most immersive world uh, possible. But other people really are more focused on tactical encounters, and they really want us to play up the ability to uh, have everybody roll their initiative electronically and have it order for the DM so he can uh, look at the, uh, the order of combat and very quickly uh, get get into the action. And so that might be a feature that, that, that is under high demand, but it's not a feature that I would use. And so it, it's interesting to see just how everybody else is going to use the software. And it's different than what we expected, but that's good. And the software is very much designed to accommodate multiple styles of play and multiple levels of um, proficiency with the game everywhere from you know a beginner to uh, an expert in the, uh, in the system. That's very interesting, and I definitely want to talk more about the different styles of play and what you're seeing, but would you take me all the way back to Wizards selecting you guys to create Dungeonscape? What was it about Trapdoor that attracted Wizards to you guys? Well, I think there's there's several things. Um, I started talking to Wizards uh, in April of 13 about the project. Uh, we're a a digital publishing company. We're not a game company. And what we're able to do is take massive amounts of content and uh, pull it into our online uh, software as a services platform called the Story Machine, parse through that and create an app out the other side that, that has fully uh, linked. It has uh, the ability to add you know, interactive widgets to do all sorts of things. And so I started using the Story Machine <clears throat> sort of on my off hours uh, to publish my own D&D campaign. And so when we approached Wizards, I said, you know, I think we've got some technology here that would really uh, help differentiate you from the other uh, uh, role-playing systems that are out there. And they were excited about that. And about July, they said, you know, we'd really like to, to follow up with all the publishing, but we also need to have a replacement for the D&D Insider, do all the character creation, the management of the... Um, the uh, adventures and stuff. And so what we provided for them was a pitch to integrate everything into a single app that would be for both players and dungeon masters that would allow for character creation, management, adventure creation, uh, and the management of, of that 
uh, and a place to store all the uh, online information, all the books and stuff. And so uh, the Dungeonscape product was born out of all of that. Uh, it took until uh, late, I guess, October. We were awarded the contract late December. We finally signed, started putting the team together in January of this year. Uh, we, we got the, the the rules sort of in June and we launched our alpha in June and we've been madly scrambling ever since to to, to keep caught up with everything that's coming out from Wizards and responding to uh, what the users want. So that's sort of how the whole process went down. There was a formal RFP. We went in and did a pitch. And uh, I think the other things that really s- sold them was the fact that, you know, we're very dedicated, longtime role players, uh, that we have a deep commitment to uh, being the stewards of Dungeons & Dragons, which for me has been a, a very big pastime for the last 37 years. Um, so I think that that dedication also played into it. And I think they saw the vision of what D&D could be uh, when we, we give everybody another hour at the table that they used to spend looking up rules or um, rolling up characters and put that back into time that people can spend actually role-playing. And there's a, there's a pretty powerful story there. These tools are in service of helping kind of the rules get out of the way so you can play the game, right? Which is really nice. It, it helps you streamline everything. So right now, as of this moment that I'm talking to you, what can people do with Dungeonscape? And what sort of products or information comes preloaded onto it if they're in the beta? Okay, so in the beta program... Uh, you have full access to the character modules. So that includes uh, building characters uh, and maintaining your characters, leveling up. Uh, it's all cross-referenced with uh, the player's handbook, so you can get to all the rules that you need to look up with a single click. Um, you can uh, do pretty much any note-taking that, that you would want to take as a, uh, as a player. You can customize your character sheets. You can do... Uh, basically, what we've all went, been wanting to do for years with a uh, with a character sheet. Uh, from the DM side, you can run adventures. So you can you'll have uh, in the beta there are some uh, Watsi published uh, adventures that are available. The DM can run them. They have all the encounters there. You can track monsters. You can uh, take notes. You can send secret messages to your players. You can share pictures and maps and do all the things that uh, you would expect to be able to do. Uh, during an adventure. Um, and if I, and the final bit is that it does have a full uh, library capability. So all the books are there. Um, the, in the beta, we're allowed to provide a sample player's handbook um, and uh, several adventures. And then obviously in the production version, you'll be able to, to get all the content exactly as Wizards has published it. So all that's available in the, uh, the beta. The thing, uh, the, the beta on iOS um, the the thing that is missing is what we call the forge. The forge is how you're going to create uh, custom uh, adventure elements like maps and magic items and monsters and uh, put those together into encounters and put those encounters together into adventures and those adventures together into um, campaigns. And all of that will be uh, published through the beta first. People will get to play with it and see what it's like. And then it'll roll out into production as we're happy that the, the functionality that we want to have and the reception is, is good. So uh, on the iOS, uh, that's, that's where the stand, we stand with web and Android. Uh, the character builder and the character management is in to the beta. We want to get feedback on that. 
and then we'll be moving off to do the adventures, campaigns, and parties um, as the next release on beta for uh, Android and web. They're just running a few a few weeks behind, as you'd expect. We have a lead product, and that's that's where all the heavy lifting is done, and then we bring the uh, the rest of the products up to speed. Wow, that sounds really cool. I love that Forge feature. I'd, I'd heard whispers of that, um, you know, as something that there were hopes for eventually. Um, but it sounds like there's already a lot of great stuff if you sign up to partake in the beta. When you talk about how there will be the full books available, are those PDFs that you'll be able to go through in the Dungeonscape app of whatever it is that you purchase through the app? Uh, no, we don't do PDFs. Um and that kind of gets back to the, the structure of how the program is written. So sort of from a technical perspective, um, the uh, content is uh, brought into the story machine, which is our online platform as an EPUB. And then that EPUB is parsed through by our uh, software. And then we have a, uh, a content architect to go through and make all of the final adjustments. And then that's compiled into the app. So, when I say you're going to see the content, the content will appear in the library module. It'll look like a book on a shelf, and you will click it, and you'll be able to flip through it like a book. You'll be able to uh, make notes, uh, annotations, just like you would any book. It's it's cross-linked in the application. So if I'm my, on my character sheet and I want to know uh, what a spell does, I click on the spell, and it brings up the information. Um, so all the information is cross-linked. Um, so you can read it as a traditional book. But you can also con- consume it uh, in more manageable size chunks if you're a new player or someone who's not really interested in doing a cover-to-cover reading. Um, but it is not a PDF. It is uh, going to be within the, the, the framework of the Dungeonscape app. It actually, to me, sounds a little bit better than a PDF because you don't have to have any special software to make notation or anything like that. You'll be able to do it right within the app. Um, and it is. it sounds like it will be all of the text that you would get in that book if you bought a hard copy of it. Is that correct? It will be all the text. Um, yeah, PDFs are a terrible format. Um, <laughs> I mean, try reading a PDF on your phone. Good oh. luck on that one. Um, and so, you know, the the whole value proposition with uh, with the the ebook reader functionality is to put the, the 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 content in actual a much more usable form so when you click on a table that's maybe tiny on your screen uh, it pops up and you can scroll around and look at you know the values in a size that you can actually read and then you know shrink it back down and, and, and move on so there's so many things you can't do uh, elegantly or quickly with a PDF um, that you can do with the uh, the content inside dungeonscape sure or even with a book. That's great. Is- right. And remember, we're a, we were originally, and we still are, a digital publishing company. So we do uh, interactive books. And uh, I, I remember on one of your podcast, someone was talking about interactive textbooks. And, you know, if you think about uh, the functionality that you need inside of that, you know, that's well outside of what you can do uh, in a PDF. And it's even outside what you can do with a traditional uh, EPUB file, which is why uh, we've added this layer of the application in order to extract maximum value out of the uh, the content. So as new products come out, you know, um, we've heard that Sasquatch Games is developing some books that will be coming out in March in Adventure and uh, an Adventurer's Handbook and that sort of thing. As those new products come out, Will those also be added then to Dungeonscape and available for purchase through the app? 
I, I can't speak to those particular titles, but uh, we will be publishing all the Watsi content for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition uh, through the application. So you could have a one-stop shop for everything you need. And that kind of goes back to the whole concept of every time, if you think about, you know, 3, 5 and all of the supplements and all of the additional books, um, by the time you sorted through the books to find where that monster was described or that spell was described, oftentimes you'd look through four or five books. There's no point in having that barrier. That barrier is artificial based on paper. And so uh, the value proposition of getting all your books in one place and all your content in one place is incredibly important. Um, and I'd like to see some of the old adventures come back as well. And I'm hoping we can uh, get some of those into the to the app at some point as, uh, in time because – you know, I've, I've, I've been playing D&D a long time. But there's some old adventures that I'd like to uh, to get the uh, the new people involved in. Oh, that would be incredible. It just, I mean, just even looking through everything, yes, that is definitely a hassle. But also just the idea that I could show up to somebody's house and I don't need to bring an entire library of books with me is is also uh, my spine thanks you for that uh, you know <laughs> we had a, uh, a play test on thursday last week uh, a group that had been early in our alpha and i haven't hadn't visited them in a couple of months and so i dropped in for a uh, a guest seat at the table and all i brought was my ipad huh. and i played all night i didn't need any dice i didn't need any books and i had everything at my fingertips that uh was needed to play. I was able to roll up a character in, in three or four minutes, jump right in and be part of the party and, and really enjoy the game. And I think that, you know, that that portability is is a great feature to have. I think people, I will certainly buy all the paper books because I'm a collector. I, I like having the, the heft of the paper. I like the smell of the paper. I like to uh, sit down in the evening, you know, with a martini and read the book. But um, when I'm sitting around the table, I'm really focused on my friends, and I don't want to be focused on uh, trying to find information. And that's that's one of the things the app is uh, is attempting to solve. While we're actually talking about things that you can buy them on, you had mentioned phones really fast. Is the Dungeonscape app going to be available through phones as well as tablets? Uh, the the yeah the the goal is to. Uh, You'll notice when you see the app uh, and you look at the, uh, the character sheet, you'll notice that uh, the design is set up very well uh, so that it can be handled uh, on on phones. Now, the initial releases aren't going to be on the phone platforms, but the idea is that we want people to be able to run a character on a phone. Um, your pad runs out of juice. You know, you left it at home, but you always have your phone in your pocket. It's going to be tough to run a dungeon on a phone. Um, <laughs> We've already talked about how we're going to try to do it, but that's going to be a pretty tough sell. You're going to have to be pretty hardcore to run it on a phone. But I think for running a character, it's very easy to run on a phone. And since it's all the data stored up in the cloud, it doesn't matter what device you're on. All your devices tie into your account, and your account has all your characters. So everything is is synchronized, and that makes for a uh, an easy transition from device to device. Yeah, that sounds excellent. And I do think it sounds like the preferred method for this app, as for a lot of apps, would probably be with a tablet. But it's great that you can whip out a phone if you're somewhere and you could even play, imagine a pickup game of Dungeons and Dragons could occur, uh, which is the first time, you know, that's the first time this could ever happen. So I think that's pretty cool to see. 
How do you think that Dungeonscape is different from the 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons insider, character builder, monster builder, game table, uh, you know, rules, glossary, etc.? How do you think that Dungeonscape is different from DDI? There's, I mean, obviously we have a huge advantage in that we now have the mobile platform available to us uh, that, that wasn't really available back when DDI was made. And so, you know, the design choices that were made there were all centered around uh, laptop computers, and it was really more focused on game prep. Uh, we're focused on both game prep, allowing people to read through the content, make notes, and get everything ready to go, level up their characters. But we're also focused on, you know, the in-game play. And so uh, the whole app is designed around what do I have sitting in front of me when I'm sitting at a table? And I have my pile of maps on the left, and I have my notepad on the right with where I'm going to take all my character notes and I have the, the, the main text of the adventure sitting in front of me with my sticky notes on it that I've done. And so what we're trying to do is make the process of playing with the app the exact same process that you would normally do with paper, just without the paper. And I don't think that the, the D&D Insider was ever really meant to do that. Um, and I think that you know, there was a lot of lessons to be learned from the, the tools that they built. Um, but in the end, it just wasn't an integrated experience and it wasn't really focused on gameplay, which is two of the things that we're really trying to uh, accomplish with Dungeonscape. How would you say that the beta has informed you about things like the uh, initiative tracker that you were talking about? What other styles of play are you guys seeing that you're preparing to uh, uh, you know, accommodate? I think there's a couple of things uh, that that just jumped to mind right off. One is the the idea that not everyone's going to have a tablet. And so we had originally thought, well, the DM will have a tablet and then we'll create they'll create a party and if there's a few people that don't have tablets, here you know, here's how we will uh, run those those adventures. And so we really set it up around the concept of the party and around the DM setting up the party. But what we found in some of the beta tests was sometimes the DMs are the grognards that don't want to get into technology. And all the players want to have the features of the product, but the dungeon masters don't necessarily have uh, a tablet to run on. And so uh, we've actually designed uh, a new play mode uh, which is game night, which will be uh, in the beta here very quickly, probably within the next week or so. Um, and that's focused also around the fact that, hey, if you, your DM doesn't have something, but everybody else does, you guys can go ahead and share content. You can do things um, uh, even if your dungeon master doesn't participate. And uh, the hope, of course, is that the DM will eventually download the app and and uh, buy a tablet and, and get, get with the program. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a, a method, a, a style of play um, that we really hadn't really hadn't thought about in great depth because we kind of saw the DM as the lead, but that's not always the case when it comes to technology. You know, I'm a DM and I don't have a tablet, but I do have a laptop and I play with all of my players remotely. Actually, there's a fair number of them who are several hundred miles away. Um, so I think this is going to be great also for accommodating online play. Um, you know, it sounds like it might complement uh, one of these many virtual game tables out there very nicely. Uh, you know, giving you the ability to show your players maps and notes and send secret messages and that kind of thing. Um, are you guys thinking about incorporating a game table into this at all? In the, in the initial design, no. Um, it's not... 
I mean, that's a space that there's some pretty good players out there. Um, it'd certainly be interesting to uh, to work with them on integration. Um, I think, though, you did hit on a couple of good points. And uh, one of the features that that I didn't think would be a big, big hitter, but a lot of people like is as a dungeon master, um, you can actually see the character sheets of everybody in your party. You can't change them, but you can see them. And that makes it a lot easier for you to you know, make a role on the character's behalf without tipping off everyone that something is happening. Um, and if you think about that as extension to uh, remote play, um, all of a sudden there are quite a few new things that you can do uh, through the app that you can't do through the uh, um, through the tabletop software that's, that exists today. But as far as putting down the, um, there will be a map builder uh, within the Forge and you have the ability to share maps and, and mark locations on maps and stuff. But as far as real-time tracking and, uh, you know, all of the, uh, I, I, when I was out at Gen Con, I, I got demos of all the, the tabletop uh, systems that are out there and they're very sophisticated and very good at what they're doing. And to try to recreate all that by ourselves um, is, is outside of our scope. But we're certainly willing to, uh, to entertain working with others to get the, uh, the experience to the level that the players expect. Sure. And like you said, there's plenty of them out there that you can play with for free. So it seems like you guys are doing the important thing, which is getting all the exclusive Wizards content together. And then if somebody wants to take it and combine the two, uh, the uh, the the power of that is just astounding and, and makes me very happy to think about all of the different things that I could do with that. Do you think when we're talking about buying things through the app that there will be exclusives that maybe you can only get if you have the Dungeonscape app, uh, you know, like an exclusive adventure or supplement or that kind of thing? Um, so the the structure of sort of the in-app purchases, and I can't talk about pricing, but I can talk about sort of the general uh, the general structure. There will be accessories that are, are available through the app that are only available on the app that aren't available other places. Um, that's not going to be core rules, obviously. Core rules will be the same as, as the core rules from WotC. Um, there may be adventures that are republished electronically that aren't published um, in paper format, but those will be old adventures, most likely not anything new. I can't imagine that um, that Wizards would uh, want you know, their, uh, their non-Dungeonscape audience to miss out on something that like that. But we're, we're, we're looking at the app as also a way that people are going to want to customize they're going to want a, a, a different skin with different colors. They're going to want different artwork for their characters. They're going to want different sounds and dice. And so there's a million ways to customize that make the app really cool and give people the, the ability to, to really put a lot a personal stamp on the experience uh, without actually cutting anyone out of the loop and making it so they can't play the game. And we want to be inclusive. And, you know, we're very sensitive to the fact that not everyone has a device and is going to be able to bring a device to the table to play. And what about offline play? Because I do think that you're going to get plenty of situations where maybe a game store isn't Wi-Fi equipped or, or that sort of thing. How does offline play work with Dungeonscape? Uh, it works fine. Uh, we, we do a lot of offline play. So uh, the there's a, there's local copies of everything uh, on your uh, on your pad. The thing you lose by being offline is you, there's no communication between the devices, so you lose the passing secret messages type thing. Um, we also don't download uh, like instructional videos and stuff because the size is just prohibitive. But all the basic content, the adventures, the characters and stuff are uh, downloaded locally and then synced up. 
So what will happen is you'll play, you'll, you'll, you won't even notice a change unless you hit a link to something in the outside world that your, your device can't get to. Um, and then as soon as you connect, it'll resync everything up so that it's available across all the different platforms. And uh, when we played at the cons, uh, you know, trying to get Wi-Fi access in uh, Indianapolis or at Origins was, you know, problematic at best. And most of the time, people didn't even realize they were offline uh, because uh, uh, the application is designed to, to deal with that. Are there plans for sort of story immersive tools? You know, um, I, I love the idea of sending private messages and being able to show your players, you know, maps and things like that. Are there are there plans in the works for maybe some other tools that maybe allow you to like loop music or, or that sort of thing? Or can you not talk about that at the moment? Uh, we're working on a sound pack, which will be uh, sound effects for uh, play. Nice. And it's not, really, it's not a soundtrack in the sense of music that's going to play in the background. I'm an old guy, so I hate background music. Um, <laughs> but what I like to do is uh, there's some footsteps. And I want to be able to uh, be able to have everyone roll their, uh, their perception. And then the person that gets the highest roll, you actually take your iPad and you turn the footsteps at sort of the appropriate level for whatever roll they made and hold it up to their head. And they can hear what the footsteps. And then you're taking the story from me telling you what's happening to someone in the party telling everyone else what they're hearing. And we've, we've done this uh, in some of the, the, the early beta tests, and it's staggering. All of a sudden, people are casting spells to make sure that they have the best hearing so they get the experience of listening and actually hearing <laughs> the footsteps. So it's a stupid little thing you just add to the, you know, a sound file to an adventure. But the impact on the game is pretty significant because people have never had the ability to do that in the, in, in the past. And so I think that there's a, uh, uh, a number of ways that, that those types of accessories will enhance gameplay and uh, let people experience D&D in, in a more interactive way than they have before. So if people are interested in getting in on the beta, what should they do? Uh, there's a sign up on the uh, the website. Uh, I'm not sure how many tens of thousands of people we have signed up, but um, <laughs> we're getting people you know put in as quickly as possible. So uh, go to the D&D Dungeonscape uh, website and uh, register for the beta, and that will uh, get you in the queue, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just need to know you know what platforms you, you want to test out. And we're a very um, customer-driven uh, organization from both from the way we treat our customers, but also from the way we're designing the product. And like I said earlier, we are making changes based on feedback from the customers because we want to make sure that this is the right product that, that goes out the door. And so we probably are showing you things earlier than we should. <laughs> They're not as polished as they could be, but we want to make sure they're right before we spend a lot of time polishing something that needs to be thrown away. And so we're really hoping the beta program continues to to drive that. And we'll have, you know, all three platforms continuing to go with um, all the new features that are coming out. And, you know, if, if you like to get under the hood and uh, tw- twist a wrench or two, uh, it's definitely the way to go. <laughs> 
And let me ask you a question just to put this into context for the people who are listening because there was a great post on your blog very recently that said, you know, that they were slowly but surely letting people into the beta because you didn't want to have some sort of failure by letting too many people in at once. You know, you're you're slowly opening the floodgates, which I think is very smart. About how many people are working on Dungeonscape right now? Uh, we have 16 full-time people uh, working on the project. Uh, we're looking to add a few more to the team in the near future to continue to uh, ramp things up. We've got uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide. We're hoping to get the content from Wizards very soon, and we need some more headcount to get that content um, into the application. So it's ready to go when the, uh, the DM's Guide launches. Sounds like it's an ambitious project, but it, so far everything's been great, so that's really good. Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy, uh, crazy uh, uh, idea that we could put this together so quickly. I mean, if you think about it, we're writing code at the same time we're writing design specs. At the same time, the rules are getting written. <laughs> you know, changing a rule then changes the design, then changes the code. And so uh, it's an ambitious project. Uh, I don't think anyone in their right mind would undertake, but we're not necessarily sane over on the side of the uh, uh, aisle. <laughs> and I, it's been an excellent, I mean, it, it's very iterative, but it's been an excellent uh, uh, experience so far. And, and the feedback that we've gotten has, has been tremendous. And for me, it's, you know, building the tool I wanted to build for the last 37 years. Is there anything else that you would like people to know? Is there anything else you want to address before we go? One of the things that, that was really important to us from the very beginning, and one of the reasons we, we put together these early, early alpha tests and uh, started running you know, actual play sessions was we didn't want this to become a video game where people were just sitting around the table glued to their iPads. Design is such that you should look at it no more than you look at your character sheet or pick up a book, and everything else should be face-to-face playing D&D. And it was gratifying to see that after the first session where there's the, oh, wow, what can it do f- sort of a learning curve, as soon as the first sessions were over, very, very much it, it fell into line with people looking at the app, interacting with the app about as often as they would normally interact with the rule book or their character sheet, which was incredibly gratifying. It meant that we were doing the right thing and that, uh, that uh, we weren't video game icing I don't know if that's a word, Dungeons and Dragons, which is not, <laughs> which is not the goal of the exercise. And I think that that's been an important, uh, important guiding principle for us is to make sure that we don't take the game over. And for the for the DMs and for the players who are out there that are saying, "Oh, this is just going to ruin Dungeons and Dragons because it's going to, it's going to make it so that it's just a video game." Um, trust me. I, I understand that at the deepest level of my bones, and that's not what it's going to do. Um, the the other thing that was sort of a corollary of that is um, I used to turn off my Wi-Fi at my house. I live up in the mountains because um, I didn't want people playing with their cell phones or playing with their tablets while they were playing D&D. And I had a couple of notoriously bad people who would just constantly you know, check a game, check, a, check their voicemail, check their email, whatever. What I found with, with Dungeonscape is an unattended consequence, which is the people who are uh, sort of Pavlovianly tied to checking their, their device now have a reason to check their device every once in a while. And I've watched very carefully those particular people that I consider problem children. They no longer check 
outside of the app. They never leave the app. They get whatever touch they need of their device from Dungeonscape. And so it's made those people who before were the, the ones that wouldn't pay attention much more attentive to the game. So I, don't, I can't say that we designed it that way. And psychologically, you can kind of see where it makes sense. But it's been a good unattended consequence that um, it really does help people focus. And we feel like we get a lot more gaming in because uh, we save that hour that we would normally say spend looking up rules or, or playing with characters. And it also makes the people pay attention because they do get to touch their tablet. And they do get to uh, do something with their phone. But in this case, it's something constructive to the game. So are there any big dream projects that you would like to do with this that you can tell us about or, or hint at? Um, perhaps not as a representative of Trapdoor or Wizards, but just as Chris, tell us what you would really like to, one thing you would really like to do with the app. Yeah, if, <laughs> and there's a million things, obviously, <laughs> I'd love to do. But I think for me, uh, one of my challenges, I have, you know, 37 years of content. I'm running the same world uh, that I was running 37 years ago. And so uh, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. Some of my players know more about things than I do. And for me, the, the Forge really represents the ability to take that information, put it into uh, a centralized place that that's uh, very convenient to find all those pieces of paper and all those old maps and I think that the, the, the ability to really customize Dungeons and Dragons to my uh, specification, I don't like Dragonborn. I don't want people to have that option to roll up a Dragonborn character. You know, I, I, I want, but I want people to be able to play. Uh, I think on your web, uh, on your Lost podcast, someone wanted to buy a roll up a Corgi fighter. Uh, yeah, I want people to be able to take that level of of customization. And I think that uh, for me as a dungeon master, when we get to the point where I no longer have my notebook sitting on my shelf as my primary reference, but I have my tablet as my primary reference and I'm able to play in Forgotten Realms, but I'm also able to play in my own campaign. I think that's when I will know that we've, we've actually hit the big home run. So I think that's my big dream is just to uh, someday, uh, I guess, hire people who can type really fast and <laughs> translate, you know, 37 years worth of documents into, um, into the application so that, uh, uh, I can build on that and continue to provide the, the level of detail that my, my players like to have. So where can people go if they want to find out more about Dungeonscape, if they want to find out more about you and Trapdoor, where can they go? Well, the, uh, the dndungeonscape.com website is sort of the central clearinghouse for the information. Um, so that will be where we announce when uh, the products live up on the uh, the Apple Store when we uh, make big beta announcements when we do our weekly blog post. So that's that's sort of the central place for people to go. Um, and I think that uh, Evan and Rachel have um, uh, put together a uh, a good set of bios on people, and you can kind of understand where we're coming from and what our backgrounds are and stuff. So um, that's one thing. And and we're we're friendly people. So I I think the uh, the social side of this equation for us is getting to know everybody, getting to know uh, what people want, uh, what people don't want. And, uh, you know, I, I, I encourage people to participate in in our Twitter and our, uh, our Facebook site and really uh, engage with us. And you'll find us to be responsive and uh, enthusiastic about our gaming. And uh, I guess one final question, which I'm pretty sure you can't answer. Do we have any sort of ballpark for an official launch? 
the uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult question because there's two processes that are outside of my control. I I don't control uh, how long it'll take for Wizards to approve the product. I don't have I don't have I can't control how long it will take for Apple to approve the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know, those are two things that are happening. Um, and you know, we're hoping to get. The, the, the first launch on iOS will be a character-focused launch. It will have the home characters and library tabs, so you can do your character creation, your character management, and you can do your library features. Um, it will, and, and the, all that technology, or all that uh, has been coded for, for quite a while, and we're you know working on the adventures, campaigns, and parties tabs, which is what we're calling the DMs release, which will follow shortly thereafter. So um, soon is the best I can tell you. I wish uh, I knew. I don't know at the point. Um, I know that as soon as it uh, goes through both of the, uh, the approval processes, people will start to play with it, and we will be uh, running in production. So, I know on the, the previous po- podcast uh, you talked a lot about pricing and stuff, and you know I can't talk about pricing. Oh, uh, sure. At, but I can tell you that we have a, we're doing a three 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 prong approach to pricing. One is to provide uh, smaller uh, chunks of of content uh, that that's very uh, economically priced for people who uh, are going to be uh, casual players or just getting into the game. Uh, we'll have a sort of standard pricing uh, buckets based on um, how we're used to consuming content in, in the form of adventures and, and core rule books. And then there'll be a, a bundling price. So for those of us who are compulsive and want to buy everything, <laughs> uh, we will let you buy everything with a single click um, of the button and, um, for those of us who are collectors, that will be, you know, uh, an attractive way to go. So I think, you know, we're really looking at this as trying to accommodate uh, as many people um, and as many people's budgets and as many people's enthusiasm levels uh, as we can. But I mean, it is a, you're getting a lot of functionality uh, outside of the, uh, the just getting a copy of the the player's handbook or whatever um, that's that's not what it's really all about. It's really about uh, all the pieces about or around that. And so um, I'm hoping that the people will respond positively to the uh, the the approach that we're taking and the pricing structure that's coming out. So that's about all I can say, you know, officially on on pricing uh, at this point. But um, you know, I'm hoping that. Uh, the people understand where we're coming from. We do have 16 miles to feed and two more coming soon. So uh, we've got to get some, uh, um, <laughs> some revenue back from the product. Excellent. Well, that's really great to hear. Chris, thank yep. you very much for being on the round table today. Sure. I, I uh, appreciate the, uh, the chance to, uh, to talk about the application and I'm hoping that uh, we can chat again soon and uh, have more to uh, more to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. You are welcome back anytime, sir. I feel like this has cleared up so much, so thank you very much. Okay, guys, well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Roundtable. Rudy Basso, where can people find you? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso. I'll give a prize away when I hit 100 followers. Bam. Ooh, nice, nice. Uh, Vegas Lancaster, where can people find you? Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at VegasLancaster.com. Uh, and this month on October 25th, I'm going to be playing a video game for 24 hours straight to raise money for, uh, kids with cancer. 
If you go to facebook.com slash plus the number two comedy, you can find out more about that. You can vote too, right? Vote on the game. You can vote for which games we'll be playing. Allison, where can people find you? Um, you can basically find me mostly on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Allison R underscore 91. Uh, that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N. Um, or you could find my group. Uh, we play 3.5E and we stream on Twitch every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's twitch.tv slash padfoot240. Nice, nice, guys. If you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me. Check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Rudy, Vegas, Alex, and Allison. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable.